The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. We are in You Asked For It. And how You Asked For It works is you submitted questions. And I have to say that I got to read all the questions, and they ranged from really wonderful to really weird <laughs> to some really tough questions. And most of the questions that I read, I thought to myself, man, I am so glad that I don't have to answer that question. That is a tough, tough question. I got to kind of to look through and, and, and choose the question I felt most equipped to answer. But Pastor Josh did not have that luxury. And I just want to honor him this morning. I think he's done an incredible job answering your tough questions with God's word as close to how Jesus would have answered it as I think possible. I just want to honor him this morning. He is the best. I get to see him week in and week out, the burden he carries, the preparation he puts into his messages, the diligence. He's an amazing pastor, and we're so thankful for you, babe. I love you. All right. So the question I felt called and equipped to answer, kind of, was kind of based off four questions. And that question came down to this. How do I have healthier relationships? How do I have healthier relationships? The Bible ranks healthy relationships as the most important thing in life. So we're going to be talking about that this morning. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew 22. And then if you want to put a marker... In Colossians 3. But we're going to look at this. Jesus is talking. His teacher has asked him, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And look how Jesus answers. In verse 40, he says, love the Lord, your God, with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. But there is a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets hangs from them. So we see here that relationships are a big deal. First and foremost, our relationship with God. That's the most important relationship in life. That's why we're all about our new song, helping people know, really know God, not just know about him, but know him, have a personal relationship with him. So we've got our relationship with God, and then we've got our relationship with others. And Jesus says these are the two most important things, that these relationships are pegs. Everything else hangs from them. So we would assume that Christ followers and Bible readers and churchgoers would have this relationships thing down, that we would be seeing health and flourishing relationships on all fronts. But that's just not the case, and we know it because we live in it, right? We know that there is a lot of dis-ease, disease-ridden relationships throughout the body of Christ, obviously in the world, but even in the body of Christ. And so today we're going to be talking about all, or we're going to be talking about how to have a healthy relationship, how to get the relationships in our life healthy. That's a word that we use a lot at New Song, healthy. Everybody say healthy. Healthy. You've probably heard Pastor Josh say healthy things reproduce. And we want to have a healthy staff culture. We want to have healthy volunteers that aren't burnt out, but they're, they're serving out of a place of overflow. We want to have healthy team leaders and staff. We want to have a healthy church full of healthy relationships. 
But what does that really mean? What does that word healthy mean? Or is it one of those things that we just kind of throw around and it's, it's lost its value? Well, if you look in the dictionary, this is, this is the most concise definition I found. Health is defined as a condition in which someone or something is thriving or doing well. If you're healthy, you are thriving and you are doing well. Think about your physical body. If you are 150 pounds overweight and you smoke a pack a day and you love Doritos and you wash those Doritos down with a big gulp of Mountain Dew every night and you go for your yearly checkup, the doctor's going to come back after he's run some labs and taken some tests and he's going to say, hey, newsflash, you are not thriving and you are not doing well. There's some systems in your body that are not healthy. We got to get you healthy. So we've got doctors, we have yearly checkups, we have BMI indexes, we have WebMD and these health magazines that help us monitor our physical health, but what about our relational health? Are we doing anything to keep tabs on how the relationships in our lives are doing? Are the relationships that you're involved with thriving and doing well? I got some questions for you this morning to help you, to help you, uh, to, to help you monitor that. You know, if you go to the doctor, uh, I, I went to the doctor a couple weeks ago, and all the doctor exams start with a really long list of questions these days. They're grilling you, and the reason that they're doing that is because they're trying to monitor your health. They want to know how many times you work out a week, how many times uh, you, or how much caffeine you intake, all these questions to make sure that you're healthy. So this morning, I've got some questions for you about your relationships, and I want you to answer these questions honestly. Answer them inwardly. Please don't answer out loud, but really answer them honestly, all right? Your marriages. Is your marriage thriving or doing well? How often do you argue? How often do you have sex? Like good, meaningful, awesome sex. Uh, Are you just making it work for the kids? Do you have fun with each other? When's the last time that you had so much fun with your spouse you laughed until you cried? When's the last time you went on a date? When's the last time you went out of your way to serve one another? How many secrets are you keeping from each other? What about students in here? Is your relationship with your parents thriving and doing well? When's the last time you rolled your eyes at them? How often do you talk back? How often do you argue? When's the last time you thanked them for all that they do for you? How often do you show them honor and respect? Is honor... Or is honesty your best policy when it comes to your parents and your relationship? Are you being open and honest about what you're going through and what you're feeling, your thoughts, your emotions? How about parents? Is your relationship with your kids thriving and doing well? How often do you yell at your kids? How often do you lose your temper with them? How often do you tell them you love them? Like really tell them and they hear you and they know that you love them. When's the last time you gave them grace? When's the last time you had a real, engaged not distracted conversation with them where you weren't just griping at them. Do you know what their hopes, dreams, fears, and struggles are right now in this season of their life? What about friendships? How are their relationships with your friends? Are they thriving and doing well? Last night, Josh and I watched this documentary about highlights, the children's magazine, their 70th anniversary. And kids will write highlights every month, send them questions. And they said the number one question they have is about friendships and about relationships. And I think that that trend continues as we get older. How do we navigate friendships? 
How often do you talk about your friends behind their back? How often do you spend time together? Would you say they sharpen you and you sharpen them? When's the last time you prayed for your friends? Are you vulnerable and transparent with them? And do you find yourself competing with them or cheering them on? Now, we could ask questions about every relationship we have with our boss, with our coworkers, with our teachers, with our coaches, with our barista, with strangers that we pass and have interactions with. Are those relationships thriving and doing well? If you felt like you aced that exam and you didn't have just a little bit of conviction stirring in your heart, then you are free to leave. You can, the rest of the message will be a waste of your time. You can pack up your stuff, go see how you can help Mr. Brandon and Boomtown. But for the rest of us who are, who, who did feel some conviction and you say, you know what, maybe my relationships aren't thriving and doing well, then stay put because we're going to dig in and that's what we're going to be talking about the rest of the message. How can we keep our relationships healthy? Before we get into the points, I want you to write this down. Healthy relationships begin and end with you. Say it, say it with me. It starts with me. You know, when, when we're in a relationship, the others that we're called to love when things start to go wrong, when we begin to sense some dis-ease, I think our first response is to look at the other person and think about all the things that they're not doing right and what they could be doing better and how can we fix them to get this thing healthy. But we are called to look inwardly. It starts with us. You know, when my kids, I ask them to go and, and uh, clean up the playroom. I've got three little kids and if they've all been playing in the playroom together, it's, it's almost time for bed. I'll send them in there, in there and say, hey, you guys clean up the room. And inevitably, one of them will come out to me and say, so-and-so's not cleaning. And I will tell them, don't worry about so-and-so. You just do what I ask you to do. And I believe that's what the Holy Spirit's saying to us this morning. We're saying, hey, they're not doing what they're supposed to do in the relationship. And he's saying, don't worry about them. Just do what you're supposed to do. So what are we supposed to do? What is our part in the relationship? I told you to turn to Colossians 3. Go ahead and get there and look at verse 12. And we're going to camp out here for the rest of the message because I believe there's five things here, five things that are going to help us monitor the health of our relationships. If you don't have your Bible, it's in your notes. It's also up on the screens. It says, put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, here's the five things, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, if you think about these things, you'll notice that these attitudes, these five attitudes, they all express themselves in relationships. And that's what we're talking about this morning, how to have healthy relationships. But before we get into those, I want you to see the words leading up to those attitudes. Put on. Everybody say, put on. When the word says that we're supposed to put something on, that means that these attitudes do not come standard. You don't have to wake up and put on your elbows, right? They're just there. You don't have to wake up and put on your fingernails. They're just there. But these attitudes do not come standard. We have to make a choice to put them on. So realize, if you're saved, if you're a born-again believer, these still aren't going to come naturally to you. You have to choose to put them on, okay? Now look at the next, the next uh, little set of words there. As God's chosen ones. You are chosen. And we love that, right? Who loves the song, the new Hillsong song? I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. 
does it get any better than that? I love singing that song, and I love talking about how I'm chosen. But we can't just sing about how we're chosen and talk about how we're chosen. We have to live like we're chosen. We have to live like it. Think about it like this. If you were chosen by your student body to be class president, they chose you for a reason. And they expect you to do what you were called to do and to do it well, right? If you were chosen to be the CEO of your company, they chose you for a reason. And they expect you to do what you were chosen to do and do it well. In the same way, God did choose you. He chose you. And he expects you to do what he chose you to do and do it well. And that may sound a little intimidating, just right there, just hearing it. Okay, he chose me, and now I've got this big, important job to do. I've got to, I've got to do all these things. But don't let it intimidate you. I have great news for you this morning. You don't have to do it in your own strength. He sent the Holy Spirit to be our helper because he knew we would need a lot of help. How many need a lot of help? We need the Holy Spirit to help us. And he's a great helper. In fact, the word of God says the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. So we have the power to do what we were chosen to do and do it well through the Holy Spirit. I think the first key, though, is realizing that we're weak in our own strength. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I'm weak. I'm weak. That's a good place to be. That's a good thing to admit. When you can admit that you're weak in some of these areas, look what happens. 2 Corinthians 12. Jesus says, my grace is all you need. My power, that Holy Spirit power, works best in weakness. Works best in weakness. So Paul says, now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. He's actually saying, I take pleasure when I realize I'm weak in an area. And we need to do the same thing. As we go through these attitudes this morning, some of you are going to be tempted to beat yourself over the head, to beat yourself up and think, man, I've got a long way to go. I know because I did this week. As I, as I wrote this message, I thought, oh man, I am not a patient person. I am not a kind person. I had a lot of conviction, but as I was beating myself up, the Lord showed me this, said, no, 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 take pleasure Realize you're weak. Admit that you're weak. But when you're weak, I can come and, and perfect my strength in that weakness. That's when my power can really come and do its thing. So this morning, admit that you're weak in these areas. All right. We're going to put on as God's chosen ones. What are we going to put on? The first attitude is compassion. We're going to put on compassion. Now, if you look up this verse in different translations, whatever translation you have, you may see uh, put on deep feelings of compassion, put on tender-hearted mercies. Here's, here's kind of a weird one. Put on bowels of mercy or bowels of compassion. What in the world? Bowels, not bowls, bowels. Like, yes, your intestines, your bowels. Why did Paul tell us to put on bowels of compassion? What does he mean? What's he trying to get across with this language? Well, let's get real this morning, okay? I never thought in a million years that I would be standing on this platform talking to hundreds of people about bowel movements, but we're going there, okay? So just buckle up. Okay, when your bowels begin to move, you feel it, right? There's a feeling. You know what's going on. And so you go to the restroom, you act on that movement, and you make a deposit, 
Everyone Poops. It's a great book. You should read it, okay? So you make a deposit. So Paul is telling us to put on bowels of compassion. What do you think that means? Well, here's what he's trying to say. Compassion, you're going to feel compassion moving in you. You're going to see something. You're going to see an injustice, a hurt. Somebody's having a rough time. Somebody's sick. Uh, Something's going on with your kids at school. You're going to feel the compassion. He wants us to know it's not enough just to feel the compassion moving. We need to act. We need to make a spiritual deposit in the lives of the people around us. It's not enough just to feel. We're all about all the feels in this generation. All the feels in the world will not make a difference if you're not doing something sacrificial to respond to the people in need. We have to respond. We have to make a spiritual deposit. We see this in the life of Jesus. All throughout the Gospels, we see that he was moved with compassion. Healthy people in healthy relationships are having daily Compassion bowel movements, okay? They are not spiritually constipated. We don't want to see something, feel something, and then push it down and act like we can't help or we don't have time to help. I've done this before. In fact, the other day I was at Walmart, and I saw a lady sitting on a bench waiting at the pharmacy, and she looked sad, and I felt compassion, but I pushed it down and kept going. I should have gone and prayed with her and said, can I do something for you? But I ignored it. We don't want to become a spiritually constipated people. We need to be moving. We need to be like the Good Samaritan. I love this story. It's, it's a true story. It's a sad story. I shouldn't say I love it. But I love it because it, it helped me to understand this principle. In 1964, this is a famous story about this 28-year-old, 28-year-old woman named Kitty Genovese. And she was on her way home from a late-night bartending shift to her New York City apartment. And on the way home, she was brutally murdered. And a couple weeks later, the New York, New York Times came out with this uh, article. And it said that for 30 minutes, she screamed as she was being attacked. And 38 witnesses heard the screams. 38 bystanders. They heard her screams for help, but they did nothing. No one ever showed up to help her. So where was the breakdown? Well, as they began to interview these people, they, they found out that some people woke up, they heard the screams, and they said, ah, somebody else will deal with it. And they rolled over. Then there were other people that got up, kind of looked around, and they saw that their neighbors were doing nothing. So they decided to follow suit and do nothing as well. There were some people who were just like, I just don't want to get involved. This is none of my business. So this tragedy, it brought about the, 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 our 911 system as we know it today. 911 did not exist. But after this, the, the government realized we need something that makes it easy for people to respond, to pick up the phone, call 911, and say, hey, something's happening send help. But when I I heard the story, I thought, I don't want to be like Kitty's neighbors. I don't want to hear screams. I don't want to hear people crying out for help and ignore those screams because I think somebody else will do it because it's somebody else's responsibility. I don't have the time. I don't have the infrastructure in place. I see needs in the city. I can't get involved though because I don't have the manpower to make it happen. We just need to see a need, fill a need. We don't have to make it this big new ministry that we're launching. We just see a need, Feel the need, be moved, have daily movements of compassion. That's what it looks like to put on humil- or to put on compassion. Like the Good Samaritan, the Levite and the priest, they saw this man bloody and beaten on the road. And you know when they saw him, 
You know when they saw him, they felt compassion. There was something in them that was like, oh, this man, he probably has a family. But they decided to push down those feelings and keep walking. Thank God for the good Samaritan who came along, saw it, felt the need, was moved, and made a spiritual deposit into that man's life. Put on compassion. The next thing you have to put on is kindness. Everybody say kindness. Kindness is kind of like an elementary word. We think of kindness, we think of Mr. Rogers and Big Bird and people who bake chocolate chip cookies for their new neighbors and people who hold the door open for like a million people at the mall and they smile. Those people are so kind. But really, when you look at the breakdown of this word, it goes a lot deeper than just smiles and cookies. Kindness is used of wine, which has grown mellow with age and lost its harshness. Gone, it's, it's gone mellow with age and lost its harshness. Another definition is uh, being adaptable to others. Being adaptable. What does it mean to adapt? Adapt is to change your behavior so that it's easier to live in a particular place or situation. To change your behavior. That's what it looks like to adapt. And it makes it easier to live in that place or situation. I think that we have drawn some really harsh lines. And we use those harsh lines to make excuses for the way that we act. We say things like, well, this is just the way I am. And if that person doesn't like it, then that person needs to get over it. Or we say, uh, we say things like, if she doesn't like me, that's her problem. That's not my problem. That's her problem. Or, or this is just the way God made me. And I know this because I've thought these things uh, to myself before in arguments with Josh, <laughs> where he's saying, yeah, you're being so harsh and so opinionated, like stand down a little bit. And I think to myself, well, this is just the way God made me and I'm not going to stand down, but that's not being adaptable. That's not changing my behavior. I need to be in those situations thinking, okay, how can I change my behavior right now and really listen to what he's saying and respond in a way that makes it easier for him to live with me? We need to adapt to the people in our lives. I've never done this because I'm kind, but when somebody lets you know that they're gluten-free, and you think to yourself, I'm not changing my menu for you. You're gluten-free. You bring your own special gluten-free dish. That's not adapting. I've never done that because I'm kind. But, <laughs> but we need to adapt. Parents, parents, can we just agree to never say this to our kids, my way or the highway? Let's throw that out. Let's make that a really old expression that kids don't know anymore. When your kids come to you and they, they're bringing something to you, like, for instance, hey, can, why can't I listen to secular music? And you say, it's my way or the highway. That's being harsh. I'm not saying you have to let them listen to secular music. That's your decision. But you need to give them an answer for that. You need to give them a kind and gentle answer. You need to lose your harshness. You need to explain to them why. You're going to bring them in that way instead of pushing them away. So be kind with your, with your kids. We're kind to everybody else, our coworkers, our boss, our, our friends. But when it comes to our kids, we can be so harsh. So soften up those harsh lines. Maybe it's you've, you've decided that you're not a morning person. You even have a coffee cup that says, don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. Or you have your shirt that says, I don't do mornings. Well, listen, that's not okay. You need to be a morning person. I know this because, again, I've had to have this conversation with Josh. 
You need to be nicer to me in the morning. Okay, you're right. I will adapt. I will be nice. We need to change our behavior. Your kids need a sweet mama, a sweet daddy to wake up to. Your spouse needs a pleasant wife to wake up to, coffee or no coffee. Okay, we've got to adapt. Don't be so harsh. Don't be so set in your ways. I think if we would start asking a couple of questions to the people that we're in relationships with, that they would help us to maybe see, because sometimes it's hard to see those harsh lines that we've drawn. Everybody else sees them, but we're blind to them. Ask these questions to the people in your relationship with. How can I be different for you? Because remember, it starts with you. Is there any way I can change that will help you? Is there anything I can do better for you? How can I serve you and meet your needs more effectively? That is a picture of putting on kindness. So ask those questions. The third thing we have to put on is humility. Humility. We've got to be humble people. One who is humble, lowly, and willing to stoop to any level needed. You've probably heard before somebody say, I'd never stoop to that level. Like you see somebody do something, you're like, man, I'd never stoop to their level. But when it comes to Jesus, that should be our goal in life, to stoop to his level. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. It's up on the screen. It says, blessed be his name. He stoops and stoops and stoops. And when he reaches our level and becomes man, he still stoops and stoops and stoops lower and deeper yet. Jesus put on humility when he put on flesh for us. And then he stooped even lower and he washed our feet and he died on the cross, a shameful death for us. We want to stoop to the level of Jesus. In our family, we call this fighting for the bottom. And here's what it looks like. The other night, we took our kids to the mall. We've got three kids and It was Friday, family fun night. The first Friday, school was back in session, so we wanted to do something special. And what they wanted to do was the jumpy, bouncy thing at the mall, the trampoline where you get to jump really high. So we take them to the mall, and as we're walking up, we realize there's only two jumpy, bouncy trampoline things, and we've got three kids. So we realize somebody's going to have to go last. So instead of us deciding who's going to go last, we let them decide by saying, hey, who wants to fight for the bottom? And they know that means who wants to go last, who wants to let others go before them. And Gus said, I'll fight for the bottom. The girls can go first. Now, that may seem like a little stoop, a little act of servanthood. But if we're not stooping in the little things and we're not teaching our kids now, then they're never going to learn to stoop to the level that Jesus stooped. We all need to fight for the bottom. We, we, were, we were teaching this to our kids and Sunny, when she was about two, we found her and Gus in, in Gus's room, and they were playing lightsabers and battling. And I was like, Sonny, what are you doing? She said, I'm fighting for the bottom. <laughs> so we want you to fight for the bottom. What does that look like? Maybe take out the trash for your husband, even though that's the husband's job. But maybe, maybe humble yourself and you take the trash out. Or maybe unload the dishwasher for your wife. Serve her. You can see she's having a chaotic morning. Step in. How can I help? You know, that's the most romantic words that your wife will ever hear. What can I do to help you this morning? How can I help you this morning? Humble yourself. Maybe you own a big, successful company. And a lot of people answer to you. You know how you can humble yourself? Come to New Song on Sundays. Serve in the nursery. 
Change some diapers. Serve the family of, of, of this church. Lower yourself. Offer to take care of somebody's kids for them. Uh, take kids to school in your neighborhood. Mow somebody's grass. Uh, fight, for, fight, fight for this in your relationship. <laughs> you you <laughs> fight, for, fight for this in your relationship. In the bedroom, okay? Serve each other's needs in the bedroom. It's not all about you, but make it all about them. And I promise when you start doing that and both parties start doing that, you'll have some really amazing sex. Um, so we're going to be humble. I read, this, I read this quote a couple weeks ago, and it is the most eye-opening revelation on humility I've ever seen. It says, we know we are a humble servant when we have a positive reaction toward people when they treat us like one. So you know you've put on humility when somebody treats you like a servant and you respond to that in a positive manner. When your parents ask you to go clean up your room and you say, yes, mom, yes, dad, instead of, I don't want to clean up my room, that's, that shows you you've put on humility. When your boss asks you to do something that's not in your job description and you have a positive reaction you know that you've put on humility. We need to clothe ourselves in humility. And I think this one, above all else, is the least natural. It's in our flesh. It's in our society, our culture. Our culture tells us the more people that serve us, the greater we are. But Jesus says, no, that's not true. Your greatness is measured not by how many people serve you, but by how many people you serve. Who can you serve? How can you put on humility? And then number four, we put on meekness. Meekness. Now, this is the one that, like, reading this, I didn't really know. Studying this this week, I learned the most about meekness. I kind of assumed that meek meant weak, but it doesn't. When I pictured a meek person, I thought of someone who, like, they're just real quiet. They're reserved. They are not going to ruffle any feathers. Um, gentle, soft-spoken, not, not, not a big opinion, not a big personality. That's what I thought of when I thought of meek. But that's not true at all. And In fact, a meek person is a strong-willed person, a person who has a thought, a mind of their own. They have a backbone, but they've learned to submit that strong will to a higher authority. A meek person is a controlled person. They have learned to take all of their emotions and learn to bring them under control. And also in in, in ancient Greek literature, that word for meekness was used to describe a wild animal who would become tame. So a meek person still has a a firm will, powerful character, their own opinion, but they've learned to bring it under control. Now, when a meek person gets offended, and we all have opportunity to get offended every day in traffic, on Facebook, or uh, something our spouse says, something our kids do, we have an opportunity to get offended. But when a meek person gets offended, listen to how they respond. Because they have controlled emotions. They respond with kindness, with gentleness, or even friendliness. Responding to an offense with friendliness. I love this. It says a meek person response is a gentle and mild response that acts as a soothing medicine for an angry soul. Imagine how much shorter 
and less explosive the arguments in your home would be if you chose to put on meekness, if you chose to answer with the kind of response that was like a soothing medicine for the angry soul that you're encountering. Imagine the difference that we would see in our homes when your husband snaps at you instead of snapping right back, you've put on meekness. So now you're able to respond in a way that neutralizes the situation. Amazing. I'm telling you, out of all these qualities, this was the one that I was like, dude, I want to be meek. This is, this is impressive. Uh, we see this in Jesus. Judas was one of Jesus's friends. And we all know the story. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It makes me mad just thinking about it. But Jesus, when he comes face to face with Judas after this happens, you'd think he might call him onto the carpet, exp- uh, explode with anger, or, 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 or even just give him the cold shoulder, act like he's not there. But he's meek, of course, Jesus is. So here's how he responds. Mark 26, verse 50. Jesus said, my friend. This is what he says to Jesus, or to Judas. My friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. And when you look at that word friend, he's wishing him well. He's wishing him blessings. He wasn't being sarcastic. He wasn't being snarky. He was genuine in this response. He still cared for Judas as his friend, even though Judas betrayed him. That is a meek person. I have had friends betray me, and I did not respond my friend. I responded, unfriend, unfollow, and cut you out of my life. But with the help of Jesus, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can respond to situations like this. We can impart peace into the stormiest of situations, put on meekness. And then we have to put on patience. Number five, put on patience. Patience or long-suffering. The idea here of patience is a long wick that burns for a long time. That is a patient, patient person. Not like a black cat with a short fuse that you light it and you throw it. But a long wick that lasts for a long time. How are you doing with your patience this morning? If we were to ask your spouse to to give 25 adjectives to describe you, would patient be one of them? Would your kids say, man, mom's so patient with me. Does anybody ever come up to you and say, hey, thanks for being patient with me the other day? You ever hear those words? We need to put on patience. How I can tell that I have not put on patience is when I begin to snap. When I get in situations and I just lose it, I just snap. That's how I can tell I haven't put on patience. When I was 17, I uh, was about to marry Josh. I had just graduated high school, and I was looking for a job. I worked at The Gap, was done with retail, didn't know what I wanted to do, but I got in the classifieds and just found a job. That's what you used to do back then, millennials. You just found a job. You got a job. You worked hard, and you put your head down, and you worked for a while while God's working everything else out. You don't have to wait for the perfect opportunity to come along. So I took this job at a tax firm. And like I said, I was 17. There was five people in the office. They hired me on the spot. And it was such an old school. Everybody I worked with was in their 50s, 60s, maybe 70s. They still use typewriters to do stuff. I'm not that old. Like, this was not that long. How many years ago? 15, 16 years. But they were using typewriters. 
And so, anyways, I get the job and start to get to know these people. And one of the guys I worked with, his name was Jack. And I worked in the office, uh, the general space where the printer, the fax machine, the copier, all that was right there. So I'd be clicking away on my key or my my typewriter, and Jack would come back there several times a day to fax something. And every time he got that fax going, he would then start stretching. And he would stretch out his hammies for a good time, breathe, and then stretch out the other hamstring. And I could just see him in the side from the corner of my eye, stretch out his arms. He would just go through a full five-minute full-body stretch (laughs) about four times a day. Why was Jack doing this? Why was he stretching like this in the office? It's because he was a runner. He was an avid runner. He ran every day, rain or shine. He was running Riverside in Tulsa. He did marathons. And he knew that as a runner, if you don't stretch, you're going to snap. Something's going to pop. You're going to pop a hamstring. You're going to snap a ligament. He needed those muscles to be lengthened and elongated and warm. So he took advantage of opportunities throughout the day to stretch his muscles. Listen, guys, we are running a race, a very, very long race. And if we're not taking time to stretch throughout the day, we're going to snap. So how do we stretch? What do we do? Well, think about it just like in your regular stretches. If you have a stretch routine, if you, you should stretch before you work out, right? I stretch every morning before I work out. What do you do? You stretch down in humility and you let God know, God, without you, I'm nothing. I'm weak today in this area. I need you. You let him know that you're dependent, fully dependent on him. So you stretch down in humility, and then you stretch up. You stretch up in praise. Thank you, God, for being so good. Thank you for being so faithful. Thank you for my family. Thank you for this job. Thank you for my children. Thank you that we're healthy today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for my church and my pastors. Thank you, God. I praise you. I lift your name high. You stretch up. And then you stretch out. You stretch out. You get your eyes off yourself and you look to stretch out and love the people. We sing it all the time. Lead me in your love to those around me. That is stretching out. If we will take time every day to stretch down and to stretch up and to stretch out whenever we can. While we are faxing something at work. While we are in the shower. While we are on the way home from work. Whenever we can, take moments to stretch down, to stretch up, to stretch out. It'll keep us from snapping when the heat is on. It'll keep us from snapping, from injuring people with our words, saying things that we're going to regret later. So take time to stretch every day. So we're going to put on these five things, compassion, kindness, humility, patience, and meekness. And when I think of these things, I think of them kind of like a uniform, when I think of put on, I think of how like you have to put on your clothes. I know we've got the, the, the armor of God that we put on when we're going into battle, but this is like your everyday uniform. Now, when I was in, in school growing up, it seems like every summer there were whispers, there were rumors, there were rumblings that we might go to uniforms. We, I went to public school. We got to wear street clothes. But every year, it was like, oh, I think you guys are going to go to uniforms next year. And it, it was always stirred up this controversy. There was a group of my friends that hated 
the idea because they felt like they couldn't express who they were. They wouldn't get to stand out. They couldn't be unique. They wanted to wear their new Abercrombie and Fitch sweater because they needed everybody to know that their parents made enough money for them to shop at Abercrombie and Fitch. That was important to them, right? And then you've got the other camp who loved the idea. They were like, man, yes, I don't have to worry about styles. I don't have to worry about trends. My parents can afford to shop at Abercrombie and Fitch, so this levels the playing field. They were excited about it. These uniforms, this uniform, the uniform of compassion and kindness and humility and meekness, this is the best of both worlds. It takes out the guesswork for you. You don't have to wonder and think and plan and what do I need to do to have healthy relationships? You just get up and you put this on every day and then repeat every day. It gives you, you know what you're supposed to do. You know what you're supposed to wear. So there's that front. And on the other side, know that you're not gonna lose your personality in this. That yes, we are all supposed to put on the five, these five things, the exact same five things. But God still has wiggle room for your personality and your giftings and your strengths to be unique, even though we're all wearing the same stuff. I'm going to put on these five things. And Josh and Afton and Logan and Jackson, they're going to put on these five things. But we're not going to have to go through the day like robots, looking the same, talking the same. It's going to be expressed differently through our different personalities. These things look great on an introvert. And this uniform also looks great on an extrovert. It looks great on a hard driving person. They work with a laid back person. This works with people who are people oriented. And it also looks great on people who are task oriented. No matter your personality, this uniform is something that you should be putting on every single day, making the choice day in and day out. I'm gonna wear these things. As we close, I want to share with you a story that I read this week that really helped me understand the power in a good uniform. On August 26, 1920, the 19th Amendment to the Constitution was finally ratified. It finally got changed, enfranchising all American women and declaring the first time that they, like men, had all the rights and all the responsibilities of an American citizen. For 100 years, activists fought and they struggled to to be able to get women the right to vote. For 100 years, they fought for this and they were unsuccessful. They rallied, they fought, they protested. It didn't help. So what happened? What changed? How did they finally get this breakthrough? A big breakthrough that actually forced people to go back and change an amendment. How did they have this kind of success? Well, in World War I, we saw tens of thousands of women get involved in the war efforts. And the women that were involved in the war efforts, they made a conscious decision to wear a uniform. Whether they were helping with the military, voluntary organizations, they were helping on farms and factories, filling in for men at desk jobs when men had to go out and serve, they chose to put on a uniform. It was a very, very thought through decision. We're going to do this and we're going to do it in uniform. This helped boost their morale. It helped give them a sense of identity. It helped give them a sense of self-worth. I'm worth something. I'm contributing to our society when so many had told them they couldn't. But here's the most important thing it did. The adoption of uniforms demanded attention and respect from the women's fellow citizens. The uniforms visibly validated their volunteer work and their accomplishments as actively engaged citizens. 
the men could look around and say, hey, these women are actively engaged citizens in our country, thus pushing the agenda of equal rights and the vote for women. Women's highly visible and recognized wartime service facilitated by the adoption of uniforms ultimately contributed to their attainment to the right to vote in 1920, all because they chose to put on a uniform. Listen to me, this uniform is even more powerful than that uniform. You may be seeing some things that, that you want change and you can't break through. There's a wall up and you can't break through in this person's life. It's like they have this amendment and there's no way they're ratifying it. You can't break through, you can't get through to them. You don't have a voice in your children's life or, or you don't have a voice in your spouse's life or a friend or your coworkers. You can't break through with these people. If you will choose to put on your uniform, if you will choose to make kindness and gentleness and meekness and patience and compassion, if you'll choose to make these things highly visible to those around you, you will demand attention, you will demand respect, and you will be able to break through and minister to that person. You will be able to break through and, and those relationship issues that you're having will be broken down. We've got to put on these uniforms. We want people to see us as actively engaged citizens of heaven, right? We want people to know we're not from here. We're from a different place and we're actively engaged. See us working, see us loving, see us being moved by compassion. Put on your uniform. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. If you want people to hear what you have to say, if you wanna make an impact on the lives around you, if you wanna help people know God, if you wanna connect with people on a different level, relationally, if you want your relationships to thrive and do well, we have to put these, we have to put these attitudes on, on a daily basis. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit this morning, what attitude have I neglected to put on? And just listen for his voice. I believe he wants to help you this morning. Again, he's not here to, to beat you up. He's not here to make you feel bad. He's here to help. Show him, ask him to show you your weaknesses relationally. And then just right there in your seat, in your heart, just repent. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I haven't been putting on that attitude. I see it now. I see it. I'm going to turn and I'm going to do things differently. Thank you, Jesus, for healthy relationships. Thank you, Jesus, that right now as people are making decisions to change the way they do things, they're making decisions to put on these attitudes that relationships that were dying are now coming back to life, that health is being ministered to. Every relationship on every front Relationships between parents and teenagers are being healed. Relationships between husbands and wives, daughters and mother-in-laws this morning are being healed. Sons and fathers, thank you, Jesus. Relationships are being healed this morning. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you wanna, if you wanna enter in into that relationship, that we talked about at the beginning of the message, that first and most important relationship. If you wanna know Jesus better, if you wanna say, I'm tired of doing my, my thing, I'm tired of doing things my way, my way's not working anymore. 
I want to be, I want to be a child of God. I want to live like I'm chosen because I am. If that's you this morning, if you want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, where you feel far away and you want to come back close to him, would you just do me a favor and quickly raise your hand up? Thank you, Jesus. If there's anybody here, we're not going to make you do anything embarrassing. We're not going to ask you to get out of your seat. We just want to pray with you. It looks like everybody here has made Jesus the Lord and Savior of their life. So what we're going to do now, church, is stand up on your feet. And we're just going to pray. We're going to pray for our city and the lost people in this city. Because like Pastor Josh talked about last week, Josh, er, God cares about the lost. He wants them here in this building. So would you just agree with me this morning? Lord, we thank you so much for our city. We thank you for the people that you've placed in our paths. And we ask you, Lord, to draw draw people to New Song Church. Help us to draw them with your kindness, Lord. Give us an open door. Right now, drop names, faces, pictures in our hearts. Fill us with boldness and confidence so that we can be bringers, Lord. I thank you for those who who who, who are lost this morning, out in our city, hurting, marriages falling apart, frustrated with their kids, Lord, that somehow they would hear about our church and they would be drawn here, Lord to experience you and to come to know you in a real life-changing way. We thank you for it. We believe you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.